Hello, welcome to another Use of Force for week 27, our Bridges of Upper Manhattan walk. We have an incident that take, took place in Mott Haven on March 26, 2011. I'm going to read the text from the Use of Force report now. On March 26th at 02 hours, in the confines of the 40th Precinct, three officers had occasion to discharge their firearms at an individual who was aggressively attempting to run them and other officers down with a vehicle and had already injured civilians while doing so. A short time prior, two plainclothes officers had observed a sports utility vehicle with defective equipment and had attempted to stop the driver. After refusing to pull over, the male Hispanic driver fled running red lights and driving on sidewalks as he did so. Other officers, including uniformed officers in marked vehicles, joined the pursuit. The subject attempted to enter an expressway, but was blocked by traffic and began to use his vehicle to ram other occupied cars. Several officers exited their vehicles and approached the subject, who continued to crash his SUV into the automobiles blocking his path, injuring civilians, and also attempted to run over the officers. Three officers discharged their weapons, striking the subject and causing his demise. A passenger in the SUV was unhurt. The subject, who had controlled substances in his system at the time of his death, had a long felony history, including arrests for assault and weapons possession, and had served nine years in prison. At the time of the incident, there was a warrant for the subject's arrest. So this person that was killed in this incident was named Orlando Santos. And as far as reporting goes, there were about 10 to 12 articles and pretty much all said the same thing, which did actually match up with the police report as well. Basically, uh, Orlando Santos had a vehicle that he was leasing in order to do private taxi services, like a gypsy cab. And that's the, the car that he was driving at the time of this incident. The headlight was out and I guess he was driving behind the police officers on a local road in the Bronx and they noticed that his headlight was out. They let him pass. He went through a grocery store parking lot, I guess sort of in a way that you're not supposed to. So they were going to pull him over for both of those things and that's when the car chase started. And it went about six miles through local roads before getting onto the Bruckner and the highway, the Major Deegan, I believe, is where it ended. And yeah, as also as the use of force report said, Santos had a history of being involved with police. He had been in prison before because of assault and 
um, stealing a car and actually also at that time had tried to run over two people with the stolen car. And then he was sentenced to two years in prison and served additional time for things that had happened while he was there. But he, you know, was now out and, and had drug charges that he didn't show up to court for. So he, I guess he was looking at the potential of going back to jail for 25 years if he was caught. And in the car with Orlando was his friend, I, I don't know if they ever name his first name, but Diaz is his last name. And he said that he had a couple times asked Orlando to stop and, you know, when they were being chased and that the response was that I don't want to go back to jail. So he wasn't going to stop. Right. So other than that, I mean, I think the, the additional information that we have from the reporting, he had a couple of young children and a girlfriend who was the mother of at least one of his children. And, you know, there's quotes from, from her that she had been talking with him right before this happened, that he had messaged her that he was coming home from picking up food at White Castle and that he'd be home in just a couple minutes. And there were quotes from his sister saying that the police had no reason to fire. There were quotes from a, a neighbor saying that he was, uh, I think, saying that he was like a nice person and wasn't violent but was easily excitable and also just marking that you know his mother and his other younger sister were sort of unconsolable and uh which is completely understandable of course and after this event within the year the family did press charges but in trying to research that, I couldn't find a single thing about it. There's a quote from the lawyer in one of these articles saying that, uh, the quote says, this was clearly an avoidable tragedy caused by an overly aggressive, trigger-happy NYPD off police officers, said the family's lawyer, Gary Certain. But when I, you know, when I tried to search for Gary Certain and... Orlando Santos or Gary Certain with the dates and nothing, nothing shows up. So I don't know what to make of that, but it seems like it wasn't. I think we'd have it for record if it, if they had won. Right. Um, and so I guess a, a couple more things about the actual incident that are just more details. You know, we, in the use of force report, you hear that he, in the pursuit, drove into a number of different cars. It seems as though four people were injured, but no one was majorly injured. Just they had to, they were affected by this incident um, from being hit by his car. 
one of those people was a pregnant woman. She had a young boy with her. And again, they weren't they weren't seriously injured. But he did, you know, he did crash into at least six other vehicles during this chase. And then ultimately what stopped him was that there was a lot of traffic on the highway and he couldn't get through. I think it was a sanitation vehicle that was in the way and he was trying to sort of ram cars and force his way through and it it was just a stopping point. So that's when the police officers got out of their vehicles. They were able to open the passenger side door and pull uh, Diaz out of the car, but they weren't able to open the driver's side door. And I guess this whole time, Orlando Santos was go was just putting his car in reverse and in drive and going back and forth and, you know, right, according was... to the reporting, trying to run them over. Yeah, he was scared or just... You know, like a trapped animal. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, he had taken it so far. There was really no... I mean, in his game, in his mind, there's only the immediate at that point. Yeah, it seems that way. I think... I mean, in doing all this research, this is... This is one of the first incidents where I... You know, I, I definitely feel for the family that it's, it's a, obviously a sad thing that's happened. I would never wish this on someone. At the same time, I also, I see the problems with the system. I see all the moments where it seems like other people and our whole structure have failed this young man, but it also seems like he's really sort of failed himself in this incident. And I think, like you said, Mike, he it probably is a is an issue of being not able to sort of like think ahead, maybe like being scared and. I mean, I guess that even just the quote, like, I'm not going back to jail, it sounds like he didn't have a good experience in prison. And probably that was the main thing on his mind. And so, yeah, I, you know, this is, I'm, I'm trying to talk about this without, this is a challenging thing to talk about because I don't, Yeah, I'm trying not to have judgment, or I certainly don't think that anyone would deserve this, you know, to be killed by police. I don't want that to be happening. I don't even want people necessarily to be, like, serving their time in jail, you know. But it's this is a, for me, thinking about this and talking about it is a bit more challenging than to sort of wrap my head around what might be going on for someone like this to even just as simple as he knows he has a warrant out for his arrest and could potentially spend 25 years in jail so in in my head i would think don't maybe don't drive a car 
that has a broken headlight. Or maybe don't drive a car at all if you're trying to not get pulled over or get caught. Um, but, you know, I guess I also have to recognize that I have the ability to think many steps ahead and maybe not everyone does. Right. Well, there are issues with our system where we have the potential to improve the system itself to lower probabilities mm -hmm. of things happening. And then there are people that are just inherently incompatible with the system. Mm. And whether that was because of upbringing or biology or what have you, it would seem like Orlando wasn't compatible with the system. Yeah. And maybe there could have been a situation where if our rehabilitation system were actually a rehabilitation system and not a punitive prison system, right? then maybe could have worked on that. Yeah. But it isn't. It probably had a negative experience, judging from this. The fact that he didn't show up for his court date suggests to me that unless he already was premeditated, I'm not going to go back, I'm going to ignore this problem. And really, either way, either he decided that he was going to ignore the problem, pretend it wasn't real by not going to the court date, or maybe he was just not capable of remembering or, you know, being able to follow the rules of the system. I mean, it's, yeah. it seems like a simple thing, but it seems like a simple thing to people that are trained to be input in the system properly. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I guess, you know, thinking about, obviously, I don't, I didn't know this person. And from the information that we have, it's really, there's no way to know exactly what was going on. But I guess now that we're sort of talking about it and thinking about it a bit more, that fear thing, or even like, there is definitely part of like having anxiety is to ignore and just hope that it'll go away on its own. And it's obviously not rational because things like that won't go away on their own in our system. But I guess that is, a way that people deal with other things. I mean, that's definitely a way that people deal with other conflicts in their life to just ignore it or debt or um, any other, I, I can't think of anything else right now, but you know, yeah. well, putting while, it off and, and just kind of hoping that it isn't real. Well, yeah, it's like a much more advanced version of object permanence, you know, or like at a certain point in human development, a child recognizes that something might not be in front of their view, mm. but it still exists, whereas mm. prior to that, they, if it's gone, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that could be the same thing with responsibilities, Yeah, which is way more abstract. It's not a physical object. It's a task right. or something. And, you know, I don't know how to... I, I, I don't know what conversation exists about making this a more charitable society for those types of people because 
that doesn't make them inherently bad people. It doesn't mean we should just accept that they suffer. Yeah. You know, and you know, it seems like you know he cre the the this the way that the actively participating system brain works is that you create another system for people that can't engage in the system. Right. But who would really want to engage? Like it's like okay, well, you don't have to be a part of this, but you are basically a ward of the state. You know, mm -hmm. like you you are treated as a different type of citizen, and that isn't going to work. You know, like if yeah, you you no. if you plot that out all the way, it just creates in, increasing inequality. So I don't know how you, other than trying to be extremely charitable and recognizing that some people just don't fit in and you know making sure that the the systems that are in place do their best job to try and nudge those people back into a non-dangerous state uh, you know i don't really know i don't know what you do but he got to the point where he didn't want to go back to prison hid the things that he was avoiding you know, finally caught up with him. Right. Because, not even because he was being violent, because his car was defective in some right. way. And that's a part of the system too. You got to maintain your vehicle. And yeah. it wasn't maintained. And it ended up creating this cascading situation where he was at that point in a dangerous, he was in a weapon, which is, you know, a vehicle that he's just ramming around. Right. As much as, you know, a lot of the, and it's probably why the lawsuit didn't really have any traction, because it seems like the main thing that was quoted from the family, from the lawyer, was that he didn't have a weapon. But at that point, yeah, a large SUV is, I would, I would say that's a weapon. Yeah. If you're if it's being driven at you in close range. Yeah. It also makes you question a little bit. I mean, I've been pulled over for a headlight issue or taillight issue or something minor like that. And I well didn't have a problem with that. It's I mean it's scary to be pulled over no matter what, but I didn't it wasn't really an issue because I don't have a warrant and I don't have any thing on my record that would show up and I'm not concerned about that. But uh, I mean, we were together when that happened and it wasn't, it was in a neighborhood where it seems like it might be more policed than others. So there is that issue too, you know, where this happened in, a, in Mott Haven in 2011 and it's also a neighborhood that's probably more policed than others. I don't know if, you know, so that, and I don't know how I feel about that really, because, you know, is that justice, is that fair, that someone who is obviously having some sort of difficulty understanding how to live within this system isn't even able to go to White Castle with his broken vehicle. I know I just said at the beginning of this that I would think like, why would you drive if you have a warrant out for your arrest? But I also know that at that, you know, I said, I know that I'm coming from a different perspective. And from my perspective, I know how to live within this 
system and I know what it means to have consequences for my actions and I know how to think at least five steps ahead, if not probably way more. So is that really fair? And is that really true justice that, you know, you're catching people in this way? Like, yeah, I do you mean, understand what I'm asking? Yes, it's, no, I understand what you're saying. It's that very po- the police are deployed in areas where the population of those areas in general are less effective at navigating the system. Whether that is something that was historically passed down to them, whether that is based on the system itself not being contoured to them, mm-hmm. it's not really entirely clear. But the police are also motivated by quota as well. Mm-hmm. All sorts of reasons why they would be in an area that may potentially have more crime. It's like a chicken and egg situation. Right. And, and that I think that's actually been studied uh, in other aspects of sort of criminal behavior as far as like, you know, drug use and, you know, what types of people are arrested for what types of things. Yeah. And it often ends up being, you know, people of color that are in poverty are arrested more, but it's not necessarily that they are doing these things more. It's, it is like this circle where the more policed you are, the more arrests there will be. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think either of us condone the idea of somebody being shot. I mean, you have to use every potential intervention you can. Yeah. But when somebody is refusing to comply, if we were to believe what the report is, yeah, and this person's refusing to comply in the vehicle and is hitting people with the vehicle, it becomes an incredibly difficult decision for the police. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, I guess just sort of the main thing probably that is harder for me to understand about this particular incident is that I think it seems like a lot of our a lot of the incidents that we talk about have to do with very clearly with mental health or with addiction or with sort of you know very obvious system failures that have not obvious but easier solutions to see whereas this failure seems to be more a lack of understanding of sort of like forward thought or consequence or yeah like a lack of understanding of the power that one might have for themselves or and that just seems like such a more complicated thing to sort of fix yeah but you know it's not like I have the answers to any of these truly I guess what we're doing here is just trying to tell the story, make a record, and figure out what the first steps of understanding it might be. Mm -hmm. 
So I don't think that there's anything else to say about this, that the reporting, like I said, was very much all the same uh, information. There wasn't anything contradictory. And yeah, I don't think, I don't think we have any more answers. So as always, if anyone listening has information or thoughts about this or any sort of expert viewpoint that you can share with us, we would love to lend an ear and, and learn from you and um, talk about this further. And thanks for listening. Bye.